The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you, each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And um, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? With regard to Chen's newsletter, if you have put your name on the waiting list, uh, to subscribe to that letter. Today is the last day until the first a couple of weeks of the next quarter to sign up or to subscribe for, uh, for Chen's letter. Uh, there's still, I think, room for new people. Uh, if you want to come in, you can put your name on the waiting list yet today and then turn around and, uh, and sign up today uh, for what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. And to do that, you need to go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, Put your name on the waiting list and then turn around and subscribe to the letter. Uh, and if you have any issues or any difficulties doing so, you can call our number in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, where someone will be there to handle your call during the normal business hours, 9 to 5 here in New York City. Uh, you can also sign up for my newsletter at miningstocks.com. And I uh, must say that I am very excited about the gold mining sector, notwithstanding the smackdowns in the gold price yesterday as well as today. I believe they are orchestrated efforts to, uh, to drive the price lower. Uh, the more cynical uh, view of that expressed by James Sinclair is that they are doing that in order to cover their shorts. When we say they, we're talking about a handful of, of uh, major bullion banks and traders uh, that are able to create almost infinite amounts of uh, uh, money to uh, buy futures contracts and manipulate the market. That, I believe, very definitely is going on. But uh, And if you're skeptical about that, I would just ask you, uh, if gold and silver and those markets aren't being manipulated, uh, they are the only markets that are not being that are being that are not being manipulated. So I, I think the evidence is very very clear from the work that the gold antitrust action people uh, have provided that uh, make it very very uh, convincing that the gold markets, especially the gold market, 
uh, is manipulated and a lid is kept on the price in order to keep people confident in paper money. But that's another issue I'm sure we'll talk to our guests about possibly today. Uh, I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show and uh, want to invite you to continue to send your questions and comments along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. And I would like to invite you also to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is jtaylormedia. And uh, I should say also the best place to go to to follow everything that I do is jtaylormedia.com. That's jaytaylormedia.com. I uh, want to thank, as, uh, as I said, thank you for listening to this show. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Caden Resources, Ganey Capital Corp., and Uranium Energy uh, Corporation. should mention just a, a word or two about some of our sponsors. Caden Resources, uh, actually we've had a really tough day in the market today. Uh, but two of the three sponsors I just mentioned have managed gains in spite of the dreadful uh, decline in the gold price today. Uh, Caden Resources, uh, last I checked, was up four cents to two dollars and twenty-five cents. Uh, this is a company with a magnificent deposit uh, that is uh, emerging in Mexico uh, on one property, and then they have another property that is locked in the middle of uh, a land uh, package that Gold Corp must have in order to bring a mine into production, and that will no doubt be monetized uh, to a very great extent by Caden Resources. This is a company I think that is really very well managed. Only forty-one point six million. Shares outstanding. We have had the management on. Expect to have them on again sometime in the near future to talk about Caden Resources. That's one I'm I'm very excited about. A new sponsor is Ganey Capital Corp. Ganey uh, also managed to uh, trade higher today in this in this very bad market. It's up a penny and a half at forty four cents. Um, and this is a company that is now gearing up for production. Actually, should be in production very shortly. Starting to do some sampling. Uh, and production. They have a mill in Mexico. Uh, it's a company that I think has the management that's re- that is necessary to uh, be successful in uh, in producing. What I like about this company is the uh, is the uh, goal, and I think the capability of growing organically, being able to uh, generate cash flows from which they can explore and develop and build their company. Uh, that is the way that you can get the most benefit from these junior mining companies. One of the big issues always is the uh, inability uh, to, uh, well, you have to go out and raise capital by selling shares. So dilution is the biggest risk that these uh, that these companies face. Uh, but Caden Resources, as I mentioned, 41.6 million shares only, a lot of cash in the bank. And if gold, uh, the, uh, the monetization of the project next to Gold Corp comes in, they should be very richly financed going forward to uh, to bring their uh, to advance their their key project, Ganey Capital, if it's able to produce internally and grow that way, uh, it has definitely has great exploration potential in Mexico. And then there's Uranium Energy Corp. It was down a penny today at a dollar fifty four, and certainly the uranium industry, the uranium producers, have gotten hit very hard as well uh, over the last couple of years. But uh, Amira Nani, who heads up this company, is doing a remarkable job in building and expanding production, and I expect that Uranium Energy. Uh, which is uh, one of the few, if any, recent new uranium producers in the United States, uh, is really gearing up to do very, very well. And uh, there are reasons to believe uh, that the uranium industry will not remain depressed forever. Indeed, the United States does have to rely on Russian uranium to a very great extent. 
And uh, given the growing geopolitical issues of these days, uh, I don't think that's a very good position to be in. Uh, and so Amir Adnani's Uranium Energy Corp. is set to produce from its uh, a satellite production um, system in, uh, in Texas. Um, I don't know if I mentioned, I would uh, encourage you to continue to send questions along to questions for Taylor. That's questions, the number for Taylor at gmail.com. Uh, I do like to hear your criticisms, your uh, compliments, uh, or any thoughts you have with respect to what our, uh, what our guests are saying. Uh, it's always good to hear from uh, various uh, listeners, and we do hear from people around the world. So uh, really, it's always, always good to hear from you. So please send your questions and comments to questions4taylor.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor.com. With regard to today's show, I've titled it uh, The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. The show is named after the title of a book written by James Turk and John Rubino, both of whom have been frequent guests on this show. And uh, they will be joining me during the first hour in just a couple of minutes from now, a few minutes from now. Both of them should be with me. Uh, I did talk to John Rubino briefly about this book, but only scratched the surface. So when I heard that James Turk uh, would be available to come on the show today, I invited John to join me as, uh, the, as both of these are the authors of this very, I think, very important book that I think will prove to be extremely timely, uh, given the events as they seem to be unfolding in the economy and the geopolitical uh, environment. Uh, how America and the Western world has gotten ourselves into this horrifically this, this horrible financial mess that we're in is, of course, a topic that we cover very frequently on this show. Uh, and so it's a long story that I would argue goes all the way back perhaps to the Civil War and then uh, as large moneyed interests started to get involved in the U.S. and then as the United States basically threw away its republic and started to gear up for a, a major um, started to gear up for uh, central government. Uh, but the real decline, I think, happened more in earnest with the creation of the Federal Reserve Bank in 1913 and then later I think the there was an exponential rise in our demise with the uh, when Richard Nixon took us off the uh, off the gold standard in uh, 1971 with that of course uh, we started printing money and getting ourselves into debt in a big in a very very big way but what I do want to talk to both James Turk and John Rubino about more uh, are some of the other topics in the book not how we got into our, into this mess so much but the consequences and the scenarios that might we might look forward to uh, things that you should understand about the mechanics of of, uh, of the system and how we've gotten ourselves into trouble and then some of the opportunities that might arise from this and those are issues that we want to talk to both John Rubino and James Turk and as I say they'll be with me in just a couple of minutes um, also, uh, in the second hour of today's show, Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity will be joining me, and he'll be talking about the ongoing conflicts in the Ukraine and things that are going on in the Middle East as well. And and then I'm going to also have uh, I'm going to have Dave uh, David Jennings uh, David Jensen join me as well. And uh, David is really a person that I think uh, helps me as much as anybody in understanding and putting together. Uh, what's really going on geopolitically with what's going on in the markets. Uh, I hope to talk to David a bit more this week about the GOFO rate. You know, what is the GOFO rate really and what does it mean and what is it telling us about the markets? Uh, David is really of the opinion that the platinum and palladium markets are telling us something very, very important now. We're seeing a huge 
uh, premium paid for the delivery uh, for spot platinum and palladium as opposed to the futures markets. And, uh, and, and so what David is suggesting is that this is a pattern that is also taking place in the silver markets to a lesser degree uh, and that he believes very much uh, in the gold markets or that in the near future we'll see the same thing. We'll see a shortage of supply to meet the demand for the physical. Uh, and so all the paper can be thrown at the markets, but if people are demanding uh, delivery of the physical metal, which is certainly the case in the platinum and palladium uh, markets, uh, that um, uh, that the paper will paper markets will no longer be able to overwhelm. Right now, of course, people take their they look at the LBMA and the and the New York, and the U.S. exchanges and they say that is the price of gold. But what's the real price of gold? That's paper gold. That's virtual gold. What's the real price of gold? And uh, those are issues. Uh, you know, the real price of gold in terms of the actual bullion. Those are issues that we'll be talking to David Jensen about, possibly James Turk and John Rubino as well. Uh, certainly, the uh, gold market yesterday as well as today has gotten hit extremely hard in a very short period of time. I believe those are uh, probably a couple of major bullion banks that are engaged once again in a smackdown. Uh, the actions of yesterday and today jives well, I think, however, um, with the notion uh, of uh, James Sinclair, who suggests the big bullion banks are really trying to drive the price lower so they can cover their shorts uh, more uh, uh, at a lower price, and that also then uh, in preparing to go long, uh, to go long in, uh, in gold bullion as well. Certainly the actions of the market yesterday and today jives very well with Charles Nanner's cycles work. Nanner is suggesting that we have probably Probably uh, that that well, he's saying the short-term cycle is still lower, but short-term meaning very short-term. But the uh, the quarterly cycle uh, is in the process of bottoming out. Charles Nanner has been saying all along that he believes that we are heading for a uh, for a major bull market at, by the end of the summer or the bottom of this bear market that's lasted for two and a half years or so will be over. So. Um, that isn't hard for me to believe from a fundamental point of view. We do want to talk to uh, James Turk and John Rubino to get their take on it. Uh, we do have to go to break. We have an awful lot of ground to cover today. So we are going to take our first uh, commercial break right now. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking to James Turk and John Rubino. Don't go away. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again James Turk and John Rubino. Uh, both of these gentlemen have been uh, on this show before. I'm talking to James uh, Turk in, uh, from his home in New Hampshire and John Rubino from uh, his office in Idaho. Both of these gentlemen, as I say, have been with me several times uh, in the past, so I'm not going to read their bios, but I would be remiss if I didn't uh, let you know how you can get in touch with their work and follow what they're doing uh, on an ongoing basis because both of them have an awful lot of good things and a lot of great insights in the markets and what's going on uh, that is very important. I think that you do check them out if you're not already familiar and following their work. James Turk contributes uh, his wisdom to goldmoney.com goldmoney.com and uh, there you can uh, just go to goldmoney.com you can also access that through their banner uh, on my website uh, J Taylor Media as well as the Voice America business channel site and uh, I should mention also that Alistair McLeod who's frequently on this show uh, is a frequent contributor to Gold Money as well and then John Rubino who's uh, been on very often on this show not often enough probably but uh, dollarcollapse.com is where you can go to uh, catch John's wisdom and his insights uh, publishes prolifically there and uh, so both of those uh, guys I'm really pleased to have them with me welcome James and welcome John to Turning Hard Times into Good Times thank you Jay, Hi, Jay. Yeah, good really good to talk to both of you and uh, it's um, a marvel of uh, modern technology that we can do so and your voices come through so clearly uh, across the continent uh, I want to talk of course about the money bubble and John you and I talked about it we just scratched the surface and that's about all we'll do today but if we can get people to understand that there is an awful lot of really good stuff in this book I should mention to start with that there are an awful lot of charts and illustrations that there's no way we can uh, do justice to uh, to all of that information here on the radio but we can hopefully give you uh, a sense of the need to buy this book and to pick it up uh, and read it um, part one we we talk about all the time on this show and that is how we've gotten ourselves into this mess so I I would rather uh, not spend too much time uh, issuing that but that was part one in your book uh, how we got where we are uh, it's obvious to those of us who, who see the world through the lens of Austrian economics uh, that the policies orchestrated in the 1930s didn't work very well, if at all. Uh, and I would say they didn't work at all. And, and they're not working any better now. Uh, and, you know, but repeatedly, the policymakers continue to do the same thing over and over again. Uh, the definition somebody has given for insanity is continuing to do the same thing and expecting different results. Uh, I'd like to start with you, James. Why do you think policymakers can't see what Austrian uh, thinkers see? And why are they continuing to do the same thing over and over again when it's proven to be uh, folly? Well, I think they can see, Jay. I think they just have a different agenda. Uh, they're not really acting in the best interests of the general population. They're acting in the best best interests of the uh, people who they serve, um, and that's basically, you know, the financial 
establishment, or what President Eisenhower called in his farewell address to the nation, the military-industrial complex. I think we're seeing it firsthand. And just to give you an example, you know, during the 2008 bailout, the poll showed that something like 75 to 80 percent of the population was against it, but they did it and bailed out the banks anyway. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, the people have lost touch, uh, lost control of government, in, in my view. Mm-hmm. John, you have something to add to that? Yeah, from an elected official standpoint, um, inflation and easy money and the kind of policies that are being p- pursued now are, are relatively pain-free. They push the pain off into the future, whereas mm-hmm. trying to live within your means is extremely painful in the short run. Mm-hmm. And it makes it harder for these guys to get reelected. So, so people who um, live within an election cycle or corporate leaders who live within a, you know, next quarter's earnings uh, time frame, they're always going to choose the easy way out. And that's what everybody in the world is doing right now. We're all choosing to, uh, or, or our leaders are all choosing to try to um, um, push the pain off into the future uh, at which point they hope their successors will have to deal with it and they'll be long gone. And so, so we're seeing human nature in action here on a vast scale. And uh, the, you know, the basic premise is that if you borrow too much money, um, all the options become painful. And it's only a choice then of uh, what kind of time frame you want to accept the pain in. And we're all going for pain in the future versus pain in the present. Well, I, that's certainly, a, I think, a kinder explanation than the one James gave. I, are you a little less cynical about uh, yeah. the, uh, the, the motives behind the, the policies? Yeah. They're, they're not mutually exclusive, though, yeah. because um, probably um, uh, James's is the, uh, the, the main explanation. But uh, the fact that it's human nature to uh, try to avoid pain is, is something that's also operating right now. Yeah. You know, we talk to Daniel McAdams on this show very frequently. In fact, he'll be on later today in the second hour. And one of the things that really has hit me is that our foreign policy is just like that in a way. We keep doing the same things that create greater difficulty, mess up nations more and more, just as we do on the economic sphere. But anyway, that's an observation. I shouldn't waste time because we have so much stuff to cover. Consequences and Scenarios is the second part of the book, uh, second uh, part two. And there were so many great chapters here. Uh, but one I want to ask you about, James, because it's something that I that I have felt very strongly about. As a matter of fact, the reason I got interested in gold to start with was because I had a history professor back in 1967 who was absolutely convinced there was a correlation between the debasement of money and work ethic and even morality. And uh, chapter six of, of your book, uh, uh, Unsound Money Equals a Corrupt Society, uh, James, and, I, and both of you, um, but start with you, James. Can you give us an understanding of, of, the, of the relationship? How does unsound money lead to a corrupt society? Yeah, because you know, money is central to society. We use it as a tool to improve our situation as we, you know, uh, we work to generate money to fulfill our needs and fulfill our wants. But if the money doesn't do what it's supposed to do, if it doesn't preserve purchasing power, if it favors certain interests as opposed to others' interests, if it's not a neutral tool in commerce and is a political weapon, mm-hmm. that in effect it affects your relationship in terms of how you view institutions generally and more specifically how you view the government or the institutions that are issuing that money. And if mm-hmm. the money is corrupt, inevitably society becomes corrupt as well. I mean, Lenin is, uh, supposedly said that the best way to debauch a society or to destroy a society is to debauch the currency. And mm-hmm. I think it's true. Mm-hmm. John, something to add to that? Well, yeah, um, 
a country's money is basically a promise on the part of the country to the people holding that money that if you if you trust them, if you keep dollars or euros or yen as your savings, that in the future you'll be able to use those currencies to buy the same amount of stuff in terms of value. And uh, so we're, we're all, all the major countries are, ba- are breaking that promise by systematically decreasing the value of their currencies. And you see that reverberating through society now. There, there's a lot of press lately about how, how companies are starting to debase their products without telling us. You know, boxes are, are the same size, but there are fewer cornflakes in there. Or lately, um, I think it was Burger King, was revealed to be using uh, wood pulp, basically, cellulose in its burgers. And, and that comes directly from a depreciating currency because mm-hmm. it, it raises the costs to businesses, mm-hmm. but they can't always pass those costs along. So their, their solution is to, uh, is to give us a worse deal, you know, decrease, decrease the value of their products. And so that leads us not only to mistrust the government, but to mistrust the big companies, the brand names we used to trust. Sure. And so that, that causes... Um, cynicism to become the dominant mindset of a society. And once you reach that point, when nobody trusts anybody else, you're halfway gone. And that's where we are in in most of the big countries around the world now. Right. So everybody, so it starts with a deceitful currency and ends up uh, in deceitful products and tricks and games that are played all the time. Uh, It it certainly does make sense. Uh, Certainly another uh, chapter seven Perpetual wars and the emerging police state—you're uh, tying also to the to debasing of currency, I guess, or the, or the printing of money. Um, that certainly makes an awful lot of sense uh, to me. I made an argument, um, discussed this issue uh, with an author uh, on on this show, uh, whose name escapes my memory now. He he worked in um, uh, he he lives in Thailand. Uh, in any event, um, and he said. And I made the point that if the United States hadn't gone off the gold standard in 1971, it would have been impossible uh, for the United States and the Anglo-American Empire to expand as it has, and now to the point where it's knocking on the door of China and Russia, uh, and expand its empire militarily because it's been able to finance it. Um, And his response, uh, Richard Duncan, that's who it was, his response was that, yes, but uh, we wouldn't have been able to defeat the Soviet Union if we hadn't done that, uh, and and so that we are better off for having a printing press uh, and a fiat money as a result of it. That was his argument. I know that neither of you guys would... Would uh, would agree with that? I, I would be shocked if you do. But uh, James, uh, James, would you like to respond to that notion and, and perhaps talk a little bit about uh, the topic of Chapter Seven: Perpetual Wars in the Emerging Police State? Yeah, I disagree with the notion that the Soviet Union uh, fell apart because of uh, us being able to print paper money. The Soviet Union fell basically apart because it had made promises that were not sustainable, and the other factor, of course, being modern communications. You know, when you have a wall dividing two people and people on one side of the wall can see how people on the other side of the wall are actually living, that creates a lot of resentment from the people who are doing poorly compared to the people who are doing, poor, are doing well. And as a consequence of modern communication and uh, information flow through technology, it was unsustainable that people behind the Iron Curtain would continue to live under those circumstances when they saw what was happening in the rest of the world. Uh, it really had nothing to do with America's ability to print money out of thin air. 
Yeah, I, I guess the argument was that uh, it enabled Ronald Reagan to outspend the Soviet Union. You hear this argument all the time, that it enabled the United States to outspend the Soviet Union. But then on the other side of it is that, as you say, James, uh, the, the, the Russian, the USSR, was falling apart anyway because it was a socialist society that, that really abandoned uh, and got rid of capitalism, essentially. And we know that wealth is, is built uh, on, on capitalism. It's not built with socialism and consumption. But again, that's one of those policies, consumption. Uh, Keynes had us, would have us believe that we get rich by consuming, which is, uh, you know, doesn't make any sense. But anyway. It doesn't uh, make any sense. And one of my favorite quotes is from Margaret Thatcher. She said, the problem with socialism is that you eventually run out of other people's money. And that's, and that's, what we're, that's where we are. That's what we're doing. Absolutely. Uh, John, any thoughts on uh, Chapter 7? Yeah, uh, James, you're absolutely right. The Soviet Union would have collapsed under its own weight eventually. Um, but ha- having said that, uh, an unlimited credit card, which is basically what a, a, a global reserve currency that's also a fiat currency is for the United States, um, can be used for good things. I mean, uh, just like if uh, any of us was handed an unlimited, cre- unlimited credit card, we, we might do some good stuff with all that money that we could borrow. And, and some of what the U.S. has done has been good around the world. But I think the, the vast bulk of our foreign policy has been one huge mistake after another that we financed um, with borrowed money and uh, pursued because we felt omnipotent. We could buy the biggest military um, empire that has ever existed, and nobody could touch us militarily. So we've been blundering around the world thinking we could do anything we wanted to, and we've ended up making enemies almost everywhere. You know, lately we're, we're spying on everybody in sight, and even our old friends are, are mad at us. And in the Middle East, we have been supporting one group, and then another group, and then another group, until everybody is our enemy. Um, mm-hmm. And you can trace that back to the fact that we had all this money to throw around and it, it uh, corrupted the decision-making process because we could basically do anything. We didn't have to prioritize. And that's, uh, that's what easy money does to a society. And this is, this is just the foreign affairs version of that storyline. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point, John, because the other side of easy money, of course, is the debt that comes with it. And when you're, when you're borrowing money, you can use it in two ways. You can use it effectively or you can waste it. You know, if you're borrowing money to build a house, you're doing something constructive with it. If you're borrowing money to go on vacation, you're, you're not doing something constructive with it. And what's been happening to the U.S. government has been borrowing trillions and trillions of dollars, and it's not being used for useful purposes. It's being largely wasted. Yeah, look, look at the Iraq war. We spent whatever it is now, two, two or three trillion dollars, and we accomplished exactly nothing. You know, the, the country is spinning out of control once again, and it's threatening to pull uh, the rest of the Middle East into a, a, a pan-Islamic war. And so it's like, um, it's like the last 10 years never happened, or, or actually it's worse than it would have been if the, the last 10 years had never happened. So um, that money is completely wasted and then some. Yeah, indeed, it's sort of, um, it's, uh, I have to keep thinking of what Ron Paul said when he was running uh, for president one of the debates. He said, the reason they're over here is because we're over there. So we're spending all this money uh, bombing, killing people, uh, you know, and of course we're told over here that it's all necessary. But in the meantime, we're, it's like taking a stick in a hornet's, hornet's nest 
beating up a hornet's nest and expecting uh, nothing to happen. And it, it just seems to me that... So this uh, whole thing, uh, because we're now paranoid about them coming over here and hitting us, uh, is that the connection, and in part that might be one connection, at least to the rising police state, because we have an emerging police state, no doubt about it. I mean, we're, we know now, thanks to Snowden, that everybody, everything we say, everything this discussion included, uh, can be available to, uh, to the police state. Either of you want to comment on that, and then we do have to take a break and uh, and before we come back. But any any more comments? Yeah, I think the police state, Jay, really is again a function of of being able to create money out of thin air. Mm-hmm. If, if the government is given that power, and this is an unconstitutional power that the U.S. government has taken on itself, because sure. the Constitution doesn't allow it. But if you give the government that power, it's going to use that power to gain more power, and ultimately you're going to go to a police state circumstances. Right, and, and the other part of the police state, if we have time, Jay, uh, yeah, go ahead, sure. Commercial. Okay, is is that uh, we we've borrowed so much money that we've created uh, the potential for extreme financial instability at home, and so governments are building up the potential police state as a way of dealing with the possibility that we're going to see civil unrest because of a financial collapse. So they've got two serious motivations right now to, to become Big Brother. You know, there are foreign enemies that, uh, that they see as very real, and there's domestic unrest very probably coming because of a financial collapse that they've engineered. So um, either way, you, you get a rationale from their point of view for, for becoming a lot more authoritarian. Yeah. So we've we've got a, a big mess on our hands. We know that, and so we we do have to go to a break now. And when we come back, I want to uh, get your ideas about how uh, how we should deal with the problems that we're facing, what we might be looking at in the future, uh, unfortunately, and then you know what's the best way to protect our families and ourselves uh, and take care of our loved ones in light of what is likely to take place. It's hard to know the shape, the time. Uh, exactly how it's going to unfold, but it's pretty predictable that things are not going to be good uh, when the system breaks down, when the financial system breaks down. So we're going to go to breakdown when we come back. More with James Turk and John Rubino. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four 
Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have James Turk and John Rubino with me to talk a, a bit more about their book, The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. And uh, we left off uh, with the uh, not not anything terribly new in terms of what we talk about on this show. We're in a mess. We've, we've got debt uh, much greater than can be serviced uh, without debasing the currency in mass. Uh, we know all of this is, uh, is in play. Uh, but I guess what we want to find out now, uh, maybe to get an idea of what sort of things we might be looking at in the future, um, w- let me ask you this. You know, if you just listen to the mainstream media and not anything on the Internet, you, like I've got CNBC on here. I keep track of the, of the prices, the equity markets, the gold prices and all that. Or if I turn it on and I listen to what they're saying, you'd get the sense that things are pretty good again. The other day somebody was saying, Oh, the U.S. banks have nothing to worry about. They're they're sound again, and there's uh, oh the Portuguese banks. Yeah, they're they're shaky, but we don't have to worry over here because our our banks. There's no question about their ability uh, to uh, to pay. Uh, what are your thoughts on the soundness of the U.S. banking system, James? Uh, start with you, perhaps. Uh, the banks are still very highly leveraged. Uh, they have a lot of debt relative to the size of their capital base. And if you look at monetary history, Jay, there's always a bank crisis every few years. Yeah. Uh, the last big one was 2008, so we're probably due for another one in the not-too-distant future. And with the economy being as weak as it is, uh, you know, the first quarter actually declined, and the odds are that the second quarter probably declined as well. That means that a lot of the loans that banks have made are going to be um, not repayable, and that's going mm-hmm. to create more problems for the banks. So, you know, banking by its by its nature is never sound, simply because they have so much debt relative to their capital base, and as a result, we have these recurring crises. And, John, you know, the global financial system had a near death experience in mm-hmm. two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and you would think that that kind of an experience would would lead the uh, the financial system to want to simplify. In other words, uh, lower the amount of derivatives out there so it, it won't blow up the system again and, and uh, um, decrease the leverage that the big banks operate with. And, and instead, we went the opposite direction um, after the crisis. The big mm-hmm. banks used an implicit government guarantee to get even bigger. They've taken share, uh, massive market share in mortgages and other, other kinds of, um, of, of lending away from the rest of the banking system. So the big banks now um, are more highly leveraged than they were. They have uh, bigger derivatives books. And um, and bigger asset bases, so they're actually more fragile now than they were. You know, we're more in danger of a, <clears throat> a huge financial crisis that, uh, that that would dwarf 2008, 2009 now um, than we've ever been. And so it, it's a yet another example of us making exactly the wrong policy decisions. And which can also be traced back to so much debt that we've taken on. You know, the, the right policy decision is painful. Therefore, we go the opposite direction. And yeah. we do it again and again. We do indeed. And, uh, but however, when I wake up this morning and uh, take my shower and I turn on uh, Bloomberg here in New York, I'm, re- I'm told that uh, Goldman Sachs beat their, uh, their top line and they made more money than, they, than the analyst ever dreamed they would make this quarter. J.P. Morgan likewise had a, had, a, had a blockbuster quarter. So this is what we hear on the mainstream media all the time. And indeed, of course, 
the banks were quote unquote capitalized with other people's money. They created money out of no out of nothing and pumped it into the banks. Uh, is this something that's going to go on and on? So if we're more highly leveraged, they, these guys can show big profits, take down big bonuses, and then uh, but their balance sheets are, are not what they seem to be on surface or. Who knows what they are because we don't really know what's on the balance sheets of these big banks anymore. They don't really tell us. Um, so are, can we look for a replay then? Is that what you're saying, John? Is it, we're, it could be worse than 2008, 2009. We could be looking for something worse. And, and uh, then what are they going to do? Are they going to bail-ins or uh, bailouts or what will they do to us this time? Well, we've created the conditions for something that's more serious than 2008, 2009. And, you know, how it plays out is anybody's guess. But um, when it happens, some kind of a crisis is guaranteed to happen. Maybe this time it'll be a currency crisis where we we see the uh, inflation spike and the value of one or two of the big currencies start to go down. And that reverberates through the financial system. Who knows? But Mm -hmm. when it happens, it'll hurt the big banks. It'll hurt all the banks, but especially the big, highly leveraged ones. And then we will go to some form of wealth confiscation or capital controls. And we're seeing the uh, the plans be put in place for that already. Europe is actively talking about just taking five or ten percent out of uh, everybody's bank account to to uh, save whatever bank gets in trouble next. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll see a combination of capital controls that keep us from moving money um, outside the system, and bank bail-ins and other kinds of wealth taxes and other kinds of asset confiscations when the system uh, next spins out of control and when the politicians get really desperate. So as individuals, that's our challenge. You know. How do we um, structure our own finances so we're prepared for something like that? And that's not a simple question at all. Oh, by no means is it simple. Uh, James, anything to add to that? Yeah, I would just like to respond to the point about the bank profits. You know, with the uh, profits being what they are, why aren't they paying, you know, a a fair rate of interest on savings accounts or certificates of deposit? Again, you can see that the way the financial system is structured, it's not structured to benefit the middle class. It's structured to benefit the banking system. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I mean, uh, you know, my mother, uh, my father's passed away, but my mother, who's 91 years of age, uh, gets zero for her savings, and she's, she, uh, you know, she... Uh, my mom and dad, both coming out of the Depression era, were both very care- careful about how they spent their money. They had nice savings for people of very modest means, uh, and now they're essentially subsidizing the banks. That's the way I see it, this, by, by this artificial interest rate issue. And I want to talk to both of you or get both of your opinions about interest uh, and where uh, the, the bond markets and where they may be heading. But uh, uh, I noticed Chapter 11, they're coming for your savings is the title. Are you are talking about uh, the kind of bail-ins that, um, that Cyprus went through? Is that what you think might be possible, or, or what form might that take? Well, they're coming in a number of different ways. I think a bail-in like Cyprus is one alternative, but low interest rates is they're taking away your savings already. as well. Already, yeah, already, because, yes. you know, the inflation rate is not what the government says. It's a lot more than 2%. It's probably closer to 9%, which is the way John Williams of Shadow Stats calculates mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And if you're only earning, you know, a half a percent on a savings account and the inflation rate is much more than that, you're losing purchasing power. Your wealth is being drained away. Mm-hmm. Let me uh, while you while you mention that word inflation. Uh, let me ask you what is inflation? You might define it for our listeners because I think people have an erroneous concept of it. The Austrians uh, see inflation simply as the increase in the money supply, uh, I believe. But uh, we're talking about inflation as I understood it. 
years ago, it was the cost of living. You never hear that expression anymore. What is the cost of living? They don't talk about that. They just call it the inflation rate. But I always thought that in days gone by, uh, when I was a lot younger, they used to say the cost of keeping a family of four alive. Well, you never hear that kind of language anymore. Uh, because I suppose because if they really focused on the cost of keeping a family of four alive, as you say, James, it would be closer to 9%, not 2% or 1% or whatever. Uh, so maybe, uh, James, just define, wh- how do you define inflation? The government defines it one way. You know, they manipulate the numbers uh, through hedonic pricing, through substitution, whatever, all kinds of g- gimmicks that they have. Uh, we know from our experience, my wife and I, that it isn't 2%, that it's costing 7 or 8% more this year than last year to live at least. So how do you define it, James? What's your definition of inflation? Yeah, the common definition is inflation is the rise in prices, but that's not really what inflation is. Inflation is the creation of too much money to cause the debasement and purchasing power of that money. Uh, and that's, that's truly what inflation is. It's the loss of purchasing power of what you're using for currency. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, but it seems to me also one of the things we see inflation is a redistribution of wealth that, that occurs, and it's occurring in the stock market in the asset uh, prices that that the rich and powerful uh, are able to exploit. Is it not? I mean, we have we, we're continually having a, today. We have a bit of a down day in the equity markets, but we've had a, a huge boom in the stock market uh, since two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, is is that part of it? I mean, so we have an increase in the money supply. They pump money into the system. It isn't getting out into loans that are being used in the economy, but it is being used as speculation, it seems, by the rich and powerful. Is that what's happening? Yes, that's exactly what's happening. You know, when money's printed like this, it has to go somewhere. It's not going to be left in a bank because people understand that they're not earning any interest income if they leave it in a bank. So it's going into assets that are perceived to be safe. You know, I live in London, England, and real estate prices are there just going through the roof because it's perceived to be a safe haven. Uh, mm-hmm. Same thing in Singapore. Stock markets around the world are going through the roof because it's better to own a company that owns tangible assets than to have money on deposit in a, in a bank. Uh, we're seeing the collectibles market going sky high, antique cars, paintings, uh, anything that cannot be produced uh, by a printing press uh, that, you know, people see it as a, as a store of value. All of these things are going up because there's just too much money being printed around the world. Mm-hmm. And yet we're not seeing a commensurate rise in the price of gold as, as some of those other items that you mentioned, James. So why not? Well, that's because governments are trying to keep the price of gold controlled because as soon as the price of gold rises, then people see the, you know, the, the red flag waving that there are problems with the monetary system. By keeping the price of gold controlled, it makes everything look better than it really is. It's the same reason that governments manipulate the inflation numbers and don't report the true rate of inflation. Yeah, it, it certainly seems that Alan Greenspan understood that very well when he uh, commented in Gold and Economic Freedom um, when he wrote that uh, article in Ayn Rand's Objectivist newsletter that he understood very well. And so it seems to me uh, someone who understood that and went about destroying the currency and, uh, and, and, and having to hide and suppress the price of gold, which he apparently knew very well they were doing when he said, uh, I think central banks stand ready to lease gold in increasing quantities should the price begin to rise or something to that effect. Uh, so, so there's manipulation of the gold markets. I would say to people who are skeptical of that, uh, why are you skeptical of manipulation of the gold markets? Tell me what market isn't manipulated, starting with, of course, uh, the printing of money. 
But uh, any thoughts to add, John, with regard to uh, the manipulation of the gold markets? Yeah, gold would be the the only non-manipulated market if it was actually free. And uh, you've got to think that at some point, the the people who are buying the London penthouses and the fine art and everything would look around and and, uh, and see that gold and silver, which are traditionally in the class of assets that uh, that are bought by the super rich and that go up along with those other um, hard assets, are, that that's the one category that has not soared yet. And that you, you'd see a lot of capital start flowing into precious metals and bring them up to parity with these other asset classes. So we, we could see in the not-too-distant future, just from um, normal asset allocation processes going on among the, the people with re- the remaining capital in the world, uh, could see a lot of money flowing into precious metals and other things being equal, you know, no, no big crisis necessarily. We, we could see them uh, start to rise just to, uh, to get them even again with these other asset classes. In your book, uh, you, you talk about the case for $10,000 gold and the case for $100 silver. Uh, James, would you care to start? Care to comment on that? Uh, what is the case for ten thousand dollars gold? Yeah, you know those numbers might sound a little bit outrageous, but you know for everybody who's listening who was alive back in 1971, uh, it would have been outrageous to say that the gold price was going to go from thirty-five dollars to eight hundred fifty dollars, but it did do that. Or and it would be just, a, and it was also outrageous to say that the silver price was going to go to fifty dollars uh, ten years later from the dollar. Uh, 20 cents it was trading at the time, but silver did that as well. Basically, what we're saying is that gold and silver are both tremendously undervalued, and we're going to see a repeat of what happened in the 1970s as the understanding grows that the problems with the monetary system are too huge and that the dollar is way overvalued and precious metals are way undervalued. Uh, uh, yeah, and John, on that, and, and $100, $100 silver was the other part, I guess... Uh, Go, go ahead, John, if you have something yeah, well, to add. The, the way you get a sense of uh, how high gold and silver should go in terms of, for instance, dollars, is you look at how many dollars have been created. And then to bring the, the two into balance, in other words, to, uh, to bring gold up to the point where you could have a gold-backed currency that is exchangeable with dollars, um, and dollars and gold, uh, free exchangeability, you, you would have to get to around $10,000 an ounce for gold. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. since that's the way the process normally works, you know, a currency is debased and, until it, uh, it has to be reset in terms of gold and, uh, and, and you make it uh, um, a one-for-one exchangeable. Well, we need $10,000 gold, uh, $10,000 an ounce gold to get there. And so we'll see that again sometime in the next few years if the normal process plays out as the way it has in history. Do we need to see uh, some sort of really serious inflation? And now we get back to that word inflation again. We already have inflation, if you use the Austrian definition, to justify, as you just said, John, to justify those kind of prices. But do we need to see, we need to see something shake the confidence of the, of the public, I think, to get to that point where they're willing to trade in their dollars uh, for, uh, for, for tangibles, for gold and other items like that. Do we need to see uh, inflation to get those numbers? Like, like, or could there be, uh, could there be 
a reversal of this system. You both have talked about the enormous amount of indebtedness. Next week, I'm going to have on this show uh, David Stockman and Miss Shedlock together. Both of these gentlemen tend to be, uh, last I talked to them anyway, both of them uh, tend to be deflationist, and they understand that, uh, that if the system were left alone as it is now, which of course it won't be and it is not being left alone, that the an enormous amount of, in, uh, of debt relative to income would throw us into the deepest depression we've ever experienced probably. So there is that underlying uh, fundamental that is deflationary because of the enormous amount of debt. Do either of you see the possibility of going in that direction at some point into a deflationary, uh, similar to what we went in 2008, 2009 before, uh, before they got control of it? Uh, uh, James, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, I don't really see the possibility of deflation. I mean, the Federal Reserve um, says that they'll do everything to prevent deflation. And in fact, that's in fact what they are doing. They're printing money left and right, uh, just like every other central bank in the world is doing. You know, when it comes to money and its purchasing power, Jay, we have to remember that money has a supply and money has a demand. Uh, you sort of alluded to it when you talked about the confidence of people. People mm-hmm. have to have confidence in the currency in order for them to hold it. If they don't have confidence in the currency when they receive it, they're going to spend it right right away. And ultimately, that creates uh, two things. It will create inflation or higher prices, but it will also create a collapse in the currency. You know, the velocity will increase and people will Mm -hmm. exit the currency and hold things instead of of currency. And I think we're seeing that to a certain extent now, uh, at least at the super rich levels, you know, with the the London penthouses and the Singapore penthouses and uh, works of art and things of that nature. You know, the super rich are getting rid of their currency as fast as they possibly can in order to put it into real things. So I, I really don't see the possibility of a deflation. It's not going to be like the 1930s because we're not on a gold standard in the 1930s. We're on a, a dollar standard for all practical purposes. And what will happen, in my view, if you look at prices in terms of goods and uh, prices of goods and services in terms of dollars, those prices will go up. But if you look at prices of goods and services in terms of uh, gold or silver, those prices will go down. In other words, you'll have uh, deflation, which is another way of saying that that purchasing power of the money will go up if you buy things in terms of gold or silver, but you're going to have inflation if you look at it in terms of dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the velocity issue that you talked about is one of the things that's remained relatively tame uh, since the Federal Reserve pumped money into the system. Uh, John, do you see uh, do you see anything that could cause that to change anytime soon? That that could shake confidence and cause people to to trash the dollars and in lieu of uh, assets. We only got a couple of minutes left, but go ahead if you have oh, some thoughts are, on that. There are dozens of things that could happen out there right now that could uh, uh, send the global financial system into a crisis that would cause people to um, question the validity of the fiat currencies that they're using. But uh, generally, a, an over-indebted system, its natural tendency is deflationary. You know, The debt yeah. needs to be worked off, and it, it wants to fall into a 1930s-style depression. But sure. we're, we're in uncharted territory now because we, uh, all the major central banks of the world have unlimited printing presses, mm-hmm. and they're, they're actually actively leaning against the natural deflationary tendency in the economy. And because the, uh, the amount of debt that's out there is huge but finite, and the printing presses are effectively unlimited, um, they'll probably win in the end. 
And yeah. we will probably overproduce currency, which will lead to some kind of a crisis of confidence in that currency, which will lead to uh, the things we're talking about. You know, all of a sudden, there's this huge shift out of financial assets and into real assets at every level of society, not just uh, among the super rich. And we get the Austrian crack-up boom, where nobody wants to hold dollars or euros or yen anymore. Yeah. And it, that manifests as hyperinflation. Yeah. Well, we have so much more ground to cover. We're out of time. My engineer tells me our time is, is basically gone. I want to thank both of you for being with us. But just to tell our listeners, the money bubble, what to do before it pops, so much more than we talked about today. What should you be doing with your money? I know both of you would start with owning physical gold and silver, no doubt. Uh, stay out of debt. Those are issues I know you both believe very strongly in. Those are things we talk about all the time. But we, uh, we do want to talk to you some more in the future. But more importantly, tell our listeners to go buy the money bubble what to do before it pops you can get it i guess at all the major bookstores and probably on your uh on your website i know john rubino your website they can go to right which is dollarcollapse.com that's right dollarcollapse.com and james turk you can buy at, at gold money as well to buy your book no you can't buy it at goldmoney.com but you can buy it online at amazon.com of course okay very good well we are out of time unfortunately thank you both for being with us i uh, really appreciate you spending the time with us uh, i want to thank tacy trump my producer and matt widener my engineer for making this show the first hour of today's show logistically possible but let me remind you that we do have more to come at jtaylormedia.com we're going to be talking to daniel mcadams of the ron paul institute for peace and prosperity and David Jensen, who will be with us as well to talk about the Platinum Group medals and how they may be hinting at a much higher gold price and silver price in the future. So go immediately to jtaylormedia.com. I'll see you there. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. 